They're some of the most famous crime movies of all time and have left gangsters and their glamorous malls forever embedded in popular culture. Now Crime World is going to make you an offer you can't refuse. In association with Dingo Whiskey and the Sunday World magazine, we'll be recording an exclusive invite-only live show on December 1st in Dublin's Sugar Club. And for a chance to win tickets, all we want are your views and your votes. Over the coming weeks, we will be reviewing our top 10 iconic movies with some special guests as part of the Dingle Whiskey Movie Club on Crime World. And we want you to vote for your favourites to be in to win. Details on sundayworld.com and Crime World's Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And remember, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. NSU surveillance guardi testify that they saw Jared Hutch riding a black Honda motorcycle out of Jonathan Dowdle's home and that just remembers a week after the Regency Hotel shooting. He was clad in his black biker gear. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at these things, Nicola, he had the visor up on his helmet so he was instantly recognisable. I'm Nicola Talent. And you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch for the murder of Kinahan Cartel Lieutenant David Byrne has been concentrated on events in the weeks after the Regency Hotel attack and the covert Garda operations in place involving the National Surveillance Unit. Today, I'm talking with courts reporter Alison O'Reardon about evidence heard around the movements of Jerry Hutch, Jonathan Dowdall and others on key dates when the states say they met with IRA man Shane Rowan before he was nabbed with the Regency guns. She tells me about the intricacies of the surveillance operations and about the lightning bolt when Hutch's counsel, Brendan Grehan, senior counsel, indicated to the court that the northern border would be key to their defence. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So, Alison, I have had a series of um, life experiences over the last week, which has slightly kept me from court. But anyway, I've been following, obviously, your copy all the way along. The last I was in, physically, in the court... um, Justice Tara Burns was about to make a ruling as regards whether the National Surveillance Unit officers that uh, have information on Jerry Hutch and others were to give evidence in public. So in other words, if they were to be forced to use their names and to, um, you know, give their evidence as who they are. But she ruled there on Monday, I think. Yeah, so we had uh, presiding judge Justice Tara Burns. She ruled last week that the 27 officers from the National Surveillance Unit could give evidence anonymously. And she ruled that if these members who act in a covert manner were identified, then their covert operations they engage in will be at an end and there will be a real kind of risk to their lives. So she outlined how there was a public interest in the lives and safety of the NSU witnesses and the investigation of crime took precedent in this case. So then for three days of the trial between last week and this week, members of the public have been excluded during what has been 21 NSU witness 
officer's testimony so on, on my count so far and there's still more to come we're told so the officers they can't be identified by the other the court the order of the court they're testifying under previously assigned initials and their names have been handed in writing into the court and that's been withheld from the defense and the media what had they got to say because we have previously seen the CCTV evidence. There's really key, three key days, the 20th of February 2016, the 7th of March 2016 and the 9th of March. The 20th of February when Hutch, we were told, travelled north with Dowdall. Similar on the 7th of March and the 9th is when we saw all these cars move around the north city sort of industrial estate the day that the guns were actually seized. Yes, so Nicola, in the last podcast you were saying, where is Jerry the monk Hutch, who's accused of the murder of the Kinahan cartel member David Byrne and all of this, and obviously he uh, denies that, but we now know a lot more as the NSU members have recorded many sightings of him, including significantly in Donegal, so he is becoming much more into focus in the evidence in the last week. So taking it in chronological order from February 12th, 2016, that's when we had NSU surveillance guardy testify that they saw Jared Hutch riding a black Honda motorcycle out of Jonathan Dowdle's home. And that just remember is a week after the Regency Hotel shooting. So that's the evening of February 12th. And he was clad in his black biker gear. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at these things, Nicola, he had the visor up on his helmet. So he was instantly recognisable. And indeed, Nicola, as we know, from looking at him in court he is very distinguished looking so there was a connection with Jonathan Dowdle a week after the Regency shooting then the next um, significant date is February 20th 2016 and that's the next major date for surveillance and we know from the opening address from Sean Galan prosecuting that Jared Hutch had asked Dowdle to arrange well, the state case that Jared Hutch had asked Dowdle to arrange a meeting with provisional Republicans to mediate or resolve the Hutchkin and feud due to threats against the accused family and friends. So it's the state's case that Dowdle had driven Hutch to meet the Republicans on this date, February 20th. So last Thursday, one of the NSU officers gave evidence that he'd seen Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdle meeting Shane Roan. And if you remember, that's the man who was later caught with the three AK-47 assault rifles um, used in the murder of David Byrne at the Regency. And they saw Jared Hutch and Dowdle at a house in Killy Gordon in County Donegal. The NSU took photos of Jared Hutch with Dowdle and a third named man outside the house in Killy Gordon beside Jonathan Dowdle's Jeep, which was parked up there. The surveillance isn't complete, as you can appreciate, Nicola. We don't see the full story. We get snippets of observations, but we do have testimony of Jared Hutch coming out of the house in Killy Gordon. So, um, and that address is connected to Shane Roan. So it's building up a picture. The NSU officers are there, presumably, or do we know if they followed them to Killy Gordon? Are they in place? Like, I mean, just from my work, I know that if you're following an individual, you don't get time to set up probably to take a photograph. So you're better off knowing where they're going. So you're in place. Do you know what I mean? To take a photograph. So do we know if they're, they, 
if, do you know what I mean, if the NSU realise they know before he leaves Dublin that he's heading to Killy Gordon or have those kind of questions been asked of them? They seem to be like parked up and like parked up in different places. So like observing all the time, taking notes. Some don't take notes with the defence had an issue with and then others are um, taking pictures with their cameras and stuff like that. So that's really as much as we know at the moment. But then you have, I suppose, the key date in this whole trial, which is March 7th, 2016. And probably before Jonathan Dowdle decided to give evidence, it was going to be the key plank of the prosecution case. So this is where the state say that Dowdle drove Hutch north to a second meeting in Straban in County Tyrone on that date and their vehicle was the subject of audio surveillance. So basically by that stage the Guardi had planted a bug in Dowdle's Jeep. So the Land Cruiser, that's Dowdle's Land Cruiser, was observed with Dowdle driving and Jerry Hutch as a passenger crossing the border at the Carrickdale Hotel in Dundalk at 3.10pm and then it was next observed in the south driving south through RD at 11 46 p.m. and an NSU officer said that Jerry Hutch was still the passenger in the Land Cruiser and he was still wearing a beanie pulled tight over his head. So this is where it's starting to get interesting, Nicola. So senior counsel Brendan Grehan for Mr. Hutch, he was asking the NSU witnesses if they'd crossed into the north. The members appeared to be very coy about this, with one member saying he had no option except to cross into the north, but then said he pulled back and didn't didn't continue to have eyes on the Land Cruiser as he'd no authority to be there. Mr. Grehan kept asking, how do you know or come to be an RD around 11 p.m. on March 7th? He said it was part of the failings operation, but he could shed no light as to what other observations there might have been on the jeep which had led him to be there. So Graham further put it to the witness that it wasn't just happenstance or coincidence that he happened to be in RD when the Land Cruiser came by and that he was met then with an uninformative answer that it was part of the surveillance operation that enabled him to be there at the time. And then finally when asked by Graham if there was a tracker on the Land Cruiser another officer said he was claiming privilege on that question, as indeed did many other NSU members who were asked the same question. Now, clearly the NSU members are under direction of how to behave in the witness box. Like anybody, they will be told what they can and cannot say. It'll be the state that's taking the stance um, to not answer questions in relation to going north over the border or to claim privilege. They're not acting as independent people, these NSU officers, we can assume. So the state is not willing for the moment to give up information on whether there was already a surveillance operation in place, either against the Hutch gang or possibly the subversives in the north who they were dealing with. Uh, who was, if there there was an already an operation there, who was running that? Was it the PSNI or was it the Gardaí? And all this stuff about the bug. This is real high security stuff that's coming out in this court case. And you can see that the state is very much unwilling to give out any of that information. And it has done in the past as well. Um, It's a stance that it'll be interesting to see will they be able to continue to take that in the special criminal court or will these questions have to be answered? Yeah, so the NSU members, they're given very formulaic kind of answers. And 
anything outside their comfort zone, they're saying that, that claiming privilege. So we've had this constant line of questioning from the defence, the NSU guardie, about whether Dowdle's car, which was under surveillance, was followed across the border into Northern Ireland and how the officers knew the vehicle was to be at certain locations. So Graham has been asking the NSU witnesses they knew whether there was tracking devices on certain cars and some said they did not know while others claimed privilege in not answering. He also asked how these cars were would be in the certain locations. But it all came to head, Nicola, on Wednesday, when, to use the words from Judge Tara Burns, we had a lightning bolt from Brendan Grehan in relation to what might be a play with the defence's line of questioning. Jared Hutch's defence team, they were setting out their stall, so to speak, um, when Grehan told the murder trial that it was of great significance to the defence whether Gardaí deployed a tracker device on a jeep belonging to Dowdle and illegally used it while the vehicle was in Northern Ireland. Graham told the Special Criminal Court he would be arguing it was against the law in such if such devices were deployed outside this jurisdiction. So he said the defence had got no headway in whether a tracker had been used on the Lion Cruiser and they say it's of great significance whether a tracker was deployed as it is illegal and in breach of the law. So we've had a very great interest in knowing, he said, how a specific inquiry came to be made in terms of CCTV footage from the north within a very short time of what happened with this particular vehicle. And the defence said that they've had very little success with witnesses to date. So a key, I thought, quote from Mr. Grehan was, we don't get the person, we get the person behind the person, i.e. they are tasked by someone else to do it, but the defence don't get to cross-examine the person tasking them. So this was regards to a piece of CCTV we saw last week when Hutch and Dowdall go into a petrol station up in Uri and they go in and they get coffee, I think, and uh, there's a suggestion that Patsy Hutch and the Aris is nearby as well. That's the one we're talking about. So they have gathered that CCTV yeah, from Newry, from a, from a service station. And what Grehan is wondering is, how do the Gardaí need to go for that uh go for that CCTV so quickly, how do they know they were there if they hadn't eyes on them in the north? Yeah, so it's the BP service station north of the border in Newry and then there's more footage um, at the Keys shopping centre in Newry on February 20th. So Grant said it may be the case that there isn't anything more or that someone for their own reasons are not providing the information because they are retaining a claim of privilege over whether the tracker was used or whether Gardaí personnel followed that type Toyota Land Cruiser into the north. So the barrister is basically after saying he's going to keep persevering and asking the questions to the witnesses and it'd be unfortunate if all the defence are getting is testimony to say the witnesses have collected the CTV but nothing about the background of how it came to be about. Mm. Uh, so he called it he wanted the matter addressed square around instead of in his words a super superfuge. So Grant said it'd be very important in relation to the tracker device deployed in Northern Ireland, but on greater importance will be the listening bug, which was deployed outside the state, which would raise itself in due course in the trial. And Tara Burns called this a lightning bolt from Grehan in relation to what might be at play. So ultimately, there will be an argument in relation to this. So Nicola, clearly the defence the defense are building up a major challenge to the use of the fruits of the bug in this case. Mm. And doesn't it throw light as well, really, in a way, on that border? And for years we've seen how ridiculous the border is because all the border bandits have used it, obviously, because if you are actually uh, like in a chase 
um, you know, somebody say robbed a petrol station up around the border, the guards have to come to a grinding halt once the the escapee car essentially goes north, which is like if you're up around the border, you're driving and one minute you're in the south, one minute you're in the north. I can only ever tell on my phone because it jumps between the, the services. But like the border in Ireland is for law enforcement, a ridiculous problem. And, you know, it has been, it's such a political one because how do two police forces work together? I mean, there is talk up in the north about, you know, being able to kind of go a certain distance into the other jurisdiction, et cetera, et cetera. But it throws light on on this huge big problem that we have on this island of ours that, um, you know, we have basically two police forces, two essentially different countries operating. And, you know, you can be over the border within a couple of hours from Dublin. Um, and obviously, it's something that the IRA have used to their advantage always. Uh, so I think probably going forward, this argument, when it does come up, you know, when the trial finishes and stuff, it will put a focus on all that sort of stuff that there is. Um so basically where we're at with all that is we're sort of parking it essentially for the moment until they get into the big legal argument about it. Jerry Hutch's legal team obviously want the recordings not to be used in the trial, to be thrown out, and maybe the tracking device and, and sort of the, some of that key evidence. So what they'd be left with if they won that argument is Dowdall's, um, Dowdall's testimony, which is due up and obviously some of the CCTV. But in the meantime, the trial has sort of moved on while, while that we've been told that argument is coming. Um, the trial moved on to other significant yeah, dates. so it switched course on Thursday, yeah. which uh, yesterday. So to focus on Hutch's two co-accused. So that's Paul Murphy and Jason Bonney and the accounts they gave to Gardaí. So the state's case is that they, those two men were part of a convoy of cars that collected the hit team at St. Vincent's GAA grounds after the shooting at the Regency. Mm. So Sean Galan said in his opening that an integral part of the operation which led to Byrne's death was the means by which the tactical team escaped, which is central, obviously, to the case of Mr. Bonnie and Mr. Murphy, who deny both charges. So the court... We mostly dealt with Paul Murphy yesterday. So Paul Murphy is a taxi driver and he's accused of participating in the murder by providing access to a vehicle. And um, we started with statements taken from him and then we moved on to interviews. So it was a very full day of evidence. So in his statement, when Gardy went um, to talk to him, uh, before his arrest, he told them that his Toyota Avensis taxi could have been cloned. So, like, that was just remarkable. And the reason he said that was because he recently got two fines for speeding and littering, and he never littered, and he's not inclined to speed because of his job. So the littering fine was for throwing out a cigarette but out the window, but he said he didn't think that was him. So then we moved on to what he told detectives in interviews. He said that he purchased his taxi, the Tyvota Avensis vehicle, from the older brother of Jared the Monk Hutch. So that's Eddie Neddy Hutch, who he had known since he was a young fella and he paid him €175 Euro per week. So we know, Nicola, that Eddie Hutch... Uh, was shot dead at his north inner city home on February 8th in what was believed to be a revenge attack for the Regency shooting three days earlier. So then in a further interview, um, 
uh, Paul Murphy, um, he's presented with phone records, including two calls made to by him to Eddie Hutch at 12.52 on February 5th, and then again at 12.56. And he told Gardy, I was looking for a lend of money. I was stuck for a few bob. That's what they do lend you money, any of the hutches will lend you a few bob, which raised a few heads in the court. And then... um, I must ask. Yeah. (laughs) And then we're also told that Murphy had driven his taxi into Booking Village in Dublin North Inner City on the morning of Mr. Byrne's murder and that a swipe card used to access the location was found when Gardy searched the vehicle. So we then learned later in the day, Nicola, that the card was one of four missing from a box and its sequence number was one away from a car recovered at another brother, uh, another brother of the monks, um, Patsy Hutch Sr.'s home on Champions Avenue. And Patsy Hutch Sr., as we know, is the brother, brother murder accused Jared Hutch. Can I just ask yeah. you there about that Buckingham Village and the gathering that happened there on the morning? Has there been much evidence heard in relation to that? We've seen bits of CCTV footage of Flat Cap kind of being in the area and others, but... Have they gone into the significance of that? Well, we've seen CCTV footage of cars. Obviously, the defence are denying all this and they're going to challenge this later down the road. But Galan said in his opening that Buckingham Street and Buckingham Village are important as these are locations that became operative at 11.20 on the day of the murder. So all we've really seen so far is... Um, cars that the state claim are attached to these men, kind of circling, if you know what I mean. So... Um, Murphy obviously denies he knows and he denied in interviews he knew anything about the shooting and said he'd heard about the shooting at the Regency on the news at 3pm when he was in his car and he said he thought he was on the North Circular Road at the time and then he even went so far to tell Gardaí that he drove to Drumcondra he was driving past where the traffic was mental and he said he could see police all over the place at the Regency Hotel and he said he didn't work the rest of the day and he went home so that is pretty much as far as we've got with uh, Mr. Murphy. We've done a bit about Bonnie, um, what he said to, got, get, he declined to give a statement originally. And uh, I think we'll be dealing with that on Monday. So that is where we are. So we're moving into, are we sitting today on Friday? No, we're not sitting today um, because the court has to deal with something else. So we're back on Monday. So what we anticipate for next week is that Mr. Galan, he said yesterday evening that they will deal with um, this part of the case. So obviously the arrest of Bonnie and stuff and the rest of his interviews. And then they will be moving on to deal with the audio witnesses. And after that, the much anticipated Jonathan Dowdle. So clearly the defence, Nicola, is greatly exercised at this point in time at the idea that the audio recordings made in Northern Ireland are illegal and a breach of the law and therefore can't be used in the trial. But even if the defence are successful in getting the audio conversation between Dowdle and Jared Hutch, they're still going to have to contend with state witness Jonathan Dowdle taking the stand. Um, so everyone will probably be descending down here for that, I would say. No doubt, no doubt. Now, um, in the meantime, you uh, you were telling me that Hutch and his two co-accused are relaxed. They're sitting back and they're chatting when they have time, when the court isn't actually sitting. They don't look 
as much as we can tell from sitting, looking at them. Do you know what I mean? They can certainly put on a display for us and many as one has done before in the courts trying to look confident. But they do seem as if there's a little bit of a perk in their step. And I think court cases like this are all about, they're almost like a game of football and who's going to score the next goal. And sometimes it looks as if the prosecution are doing brilliantly. Sometimes it looks as if the defence are doing brilliantly. And obviously the judges will consider everything at the end of it when they they retire to consider their verdict. But for the moment, they look as if there's a bit of a perk in their step. Yeah, so every morning you you see Jared Hutch coming out from the cell area and he nearly races across the dock. It's like he doesn't want the media to observe what he's wearing because eyes are on him all the time. So he skirt, he hurries over and then he's sitting nearest the judges and then you've um, Paul Murphy in the middle and then you've Bonnie nearest the gallery of the public. So they are very relaxed they are huddled together at times, like discussing matters, do you know what I mean, enclose the two of them around Paul Murphy. But Hutch seems to be in good spirits. So we've had like this crowds of people down each day, had all sorts of, pe- of people attending the trial. And I even heard yesterday that retired members of the Hoth Yacht Club came in to spectate. So, yeah, very... As a kind of an organised day out? I think so, yeah. There was, I'd say, around 12 of them, distinguished-looking men in suits, and they obviously came in to have a gawk. But look, fair play. I mean, I've had loads of communication from people, you know, wondering, is the trial open to the public and can they come in? And by and large, yes, people, I think, are allowed in. It's a public court obviously when you know during the times when the national surveillance unit were giving their evidence the public weren't allowed in but they if they if they show up yeah if they show up and they provide proof of identity and you know there there is a bit of a search system it's like going into an airport uh, going into the special criminal court there is you know there's some security there but they by and large are allowed into the court mm-hmm. to sit and be quiet yeah, and all only, the rest. Uh, they were only, the public just weren't allowed in for the NSU and yeah. then the minute they're finished giving their evidence, you can see the crowds just descending on the court. There's a huge public interest. In. And it's a case of first come, first served. It's like, you know, it's like the Brown Thomas uh, January sales. You have to yeah. be first in the queue. Even the, the media, ra- yeah, the media are racing up to get their seats yeah. because any of the public could sit on the media bench and then... Can they? Yeah. Well, We'll wrestle them do. out, don't yeah. dare. So finally, really, I suppose, the other observation I was asking last week, where is George the monk? Hutch, um, what I did notice was and the individual who keeps coming up and who seems to be always present at these moments of uh, which are being placed before the court as evidence against Jared Hutch is his brother Patsy. Yeah, so this is another yeah, another brother that's we've heard a bit about Eddie Hutch. Now we're here, we've heard a bit about Patsy. And this is the date, uh, Nicola, like March 9th, 2016, and that was the date that Shane Rome was stopped shortly after 7pm outside Slane, where the three AK-47s were found in the boot of the car, which were a match to the cartridges used at the Regency. So we've heard from a large number of NSU officers who carried out surveillance that day in and around Clare Hall Shopping Centre, a Malahide industrial estate nearby. And the most significant observa- observations have related to Jared's Hutch brother, 
Patsy Hutch Sr., who was seen, the surveillance um, officer said, in the same car as convicted IRA member Shane Roan um, that, on March 9th. So that's a month after the Regency attack. And then less than an hour later after Patsy Hutch is seen in the car with Rowan, Rowan was stopped driving north with the three assault rifles that had been used in the Regency. So that's where Patsy Hutch has come into the picture. Yeah, I mean, he's he's very much like he's he seems to me to be. And of course, Rowan wasn't convicted at that point of IRA membership. He'd be later convicted of it. But he seems to be almost closer than Jerry to 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 Rowan at times. Obviously, the full picture hasn't emerged. But yeah, I think it is very significant how often Patsy Hutch's name has been mentioned. And of course, Patsy Hutch was a and remains a key target of the Kinahan organisation. There's been a number of attempts on his life. There was one in particular, which resulted in the jailing of nine, a nine-man hit team. Um, and I think there has been certainly at least three, if not four, um, attempts to murder him thwarted by Gardaí from the Drugs and National yeah. Crime Bureau. And it's important to remember Patsy Hutch that he's not charged with any offence before the court. No, yeah. he's not. Um, but he, he, he nonetheless is a significant character emerging in this case. So listen, that was... Great. Thank you so much because, uh, you know, it's great to get a roundup of it. Um, Sometimes the evidence during the week can be same, same for for people. If you're trying to report on it day in, day out, you're sort of looking for a new line, a fresh line. And when you've got a series of people, you know, giving evidence on the same thing, like these National Surveillance Unit officers, where they were, they were all pretty much doing the same thing. So um, there are some weeks in trials when you're better off doing a wrap-up of the week and it keeps you. It keeps it... Um, yeah, there's a lot of evidence coming our way and you said last week, like, if you blink, you nearly miss something. You need to really be in there all the time because you don't know what's coming mm. and you can just hear something very big. Yeah. So, yeah, and we'll be in next week. So, Alison O'Reardon, thank you so much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. <laughs>